John Schneider, who very much is seeing the same things that you are, I suppose, looking at yesterday's game and mm-hmm. calling it fitting. Now, he's probably got a little more positive slant, but one that you can make the argument for. The Blue Jays played half-decent game, that mm-hmm. they pitched pretty well outside of Kevin Gossman, that they had their opportunities, they did create some base runners off of Pablo Lopez, and they came within a foot or two, or maybe tying the game yep. on the Matt Chapman long fly ball. Yep. And he's like, that's fitting. Yeah, it's it. you get enough of those things happening over the course of six months, though. It's more than just, wow, what a fluky weirdo season. Is You know, this is kind of the way this team is built and the way they're going to play this year. Yeah, boy, man, like we can sit here and do the thing of Chapman of, man, stinks. He couldn't have got another two feet of that. Or just Michael Taylor could, sorry, Michael A. Taylor, like Esquire. I feel like he's a writer. Mm -hmm. There actually is a writer named Michael A. Taylor. Neither here nor there. We can do the thing of if you just could have eked out a little more, if you just could have, okay, great. Yes, the ball bounces, all these things happen. But as we just spent literally the last hour (laughs) discussing, when you are a team that is just so unable to scratch across runs and scratch together hits and do these things, that that game happens a million times. So on one hand, I can understand someone who is invested in it, living with it, saying, man, how many times do we have to lose this game this year? Yes, agree. How many times you have to lose this game this year? Well, and you know what? There's no defense for, and there's no, man, that was unlucky. Wrong part of the ballpark. When you hit the ball as hard as as Royce Lewis did a couple of times yesterday. Nash. Nothing you can do. That takes the guesswork right out of it. And guess what? The Twins have done that more often than not this season. They've done it a whole hell of a lot more than the Toronto Blue Jays. Clearly an area, offensively, that the Blue Jays expected uh, to be a lot better than it's been this year. Something that if things go, again, uh, the same way that they did yesterday in today's game in Minnesota and the Blue Jays offseason starts at around 7 o'clock tonight, it'll be a major focus of this offseason is adding some power to this Blue Jays lineup. So I, I mentioned breaking uh, in the last segment that I'm I'm – been trying to search for some positives to take away from yesterday's game. Guys that 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 produced that that might have been concerning factors around this Blue Jays team going into the postseason that were not necessarily concerning factors. And I think there were more than a few. Like the bullpen, we mentioned that was good. I think the guy that we just heard from, John Schneider, kind of acquitted himself nicely. I know, like it was a little frantic, and 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 maybe that that freaked you out that he kept getting relievers up. And there were three of them before eventually the fourth in Eric Swanson ended up in the baseball game. I was actually kind of encouraged by that because he saw what we were all seeing that Kevin Gossman didn't have it. Mm -hmm. And I know it's early and I know it's your ace and it's a lot of innings to cover. But at a certain point, you got to make a hard decision to get him the heck out of that baseball game. Now, the counter to that is that they used a lot of relievers yesterday, not any of them in a, in a, in a, and a way that would make you question their availability today, I don't think, on a back-to-back. And the only guy that really I, I felt like was laboring is Jordan Hicks, but I think he'll be very much available today. Maybe not tomorrow, though. We'll mm-hmm. see. I mean, th- he'll be available, but how effective will he be on three straight days? But I think in an overall sense, and I, I already said I didn't necessarily disagree with the idea of Whit Merrifield being the guy that you pinch hit for or pinch hit with, in the seventh inning for Dalton Varsho, but I understand his reasoning behind it. 
I had no problem with the the way John Schneider managed that game. And in fact, I thought there was maybe some learning that took place. Yeah, it felt like perhaps an overcorrection in terms of, uh, you know what? Why don't all the guys in the pen just kind of mill about all game? And mm-hmm. then they're at least quasi hot. But guess what? That is better than the other side of things. So there feels like a middle ground there where Yenesis Cabrera doesn't have to get up and warm a hundred times before he actually makes his way into the game. So I think that there's a learning curve on that end of things. I did have the question of could he have tried to eke out a little more with Gosman? But given all the questions that have been had last year yeah. and given the way the twins attacked him, I think it I think it was totally fine to do that. And guess what? If you were having this conversation about the wear and tear on relievers, today's gone well. Because if if the Jays need their relievers to be great and they come up short today, they didn't all have to pitch yesterday. Like it is not the case no. where that's that's well, happening. So and Jordan Romano notably didn't pitch in the mm-hmm. game, which I think would lead credence to the belief that he's the closer still. Yep. Right? I think I think there's no other way to look at it than that. I also and we've talked about this. You know, we talked about it more with Kikuchi versus Bassett in terms of the how how one of those guys' profile would fit better and maybe that would lead them to be in the game three three starter. But I also wonder how much of it is profile with the with the twins. Like there is maybe something that mm-hmm. obviously there's something Kevin Gosman does that they are super comfortable with. I wonder if it's the other way for Romano versus Hicks there. I, I think you can read into it that way, but it also could just be a matchup thing. So Jordan Hicks threw 25 pitches. Everybody else threw fewer than 15. Tim Mesa threw three. Like Eric Swanson threw 11. Chad Green, who, oh, man, the, the Blue Jays have gotten a little bit out of the two mm-hmm. guys that were recovering from Tommy John surgery, Hunjin Ryu during the regular season, and, and Chad Green at the back half of the regular season and now into the postseason looks very Chad Greeny. And uh, Yenesis Cabrera, he threw 12 with a couple of strikeouts in his two-thirds of an inning. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's there's any question about those guys. Again, availabilities today and certainly availabilities on Friday, if they get to, or on Thursday, tomorrow, mm-hmm. if they get to that point. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, are they going to be as effective? That's the one argument against it. And I will say, and Kevin Gossman talked about this in his postgame availability, that he was starting to figure things out. Like he he actually figured it out by the end of mm-hmm. his outing. I understand a little bit that argument, um, but it's a 3 nothing baseball game. And while the Blue Jays haven't come back from down three runs since July... In most normal Major League Baseball teams, that's not an insurmountable lead. And the way that he looked in an overall, the overall numbers against the Minnesota Twins, you're just trying to keep it at a three-run lead. And eventually, he cut it to a two-run lead. So I, I, I totally understand the thinking uh, by John Schneider to go to the bullpen there, and, and you, hard to argue with the results. No, you you cannot. And again, I just think it's curious that it's Swanson who comes in after, just the guy who relies on a similar pitch. So yep. we spent the whole time saying, ah, Tippin, the splitter. I mean, maybe he's tipping. Maybe it's not the splitter that he that he's doing it on. And then you just look at the way everyone else handled themselves. I mean, Mesa coming in and like you said, three pitches, that's as clinical as you could possibly get. That's exactly what he is there mm-hmm. to do in that instance. And the fact that he's not taxed to to a big, big extent today. And honestly, like even if these guys are taxed, like the fact that this is the like this is it. This is your final stand. Like you're going to use these guys with everything they have left. I understand there's potentially, hopefully, a game to be played tomorrow, but you have to get there. I did. Did you at any point in time in the game after maybe the first homer think we were trending to a you say usage? I wondered about that. I did too. I wondered. How do you it, feel about that term for it? A you say usage. You say usage is not is not bad. I did also wonder though without. 
Bowden Francis on this roster, how they would navigate extra innings or a disaster scenario in yep. which you need a bunch of relief pitching and you're still in the baseball game throughout the course of the, the season. It would be a tough, tough, not look, but like it would put you behind the eight ball mm-hmm. strategically to have you say Kikuchi throw in like five innings in yeah. game one not what of, you want. of this series. But I did wonder about that and I wondered how he would be used. But, I mean, again, Tim Mays only throwing three pitches. You have two lefties in the bullpen already in Yenesis mm-hmm. Cabrera. And Yenesis Cabrera, while he started his Blue Jays career super strong, like in recent weeks at the end of the regular season, didn't quite look like the same guy. It was great to see him yep. back to being as great as he looked when he first arrived when the Blue Jays picked him up from the, the St. Louis Cardinals. But, yeah, that bullpen, no issues with. Bullpen has been great all season long. It was an area that many Blue Jays fans – wanted them to address that last year's trade deadline, and they did so only sparingly. They mm-hmm. did so in a more meaningful way this season. It's been effective. Problem is you need to get a lead into those late innings, which means you need to score runs, which generally in the postseason means you need to hit home runs. I, here's what I'll say, Brent. <laughs> Blue Jays get out homer today. How about this? Blue Jays do not hit a homer today. Oh. They will not win the baseball game. Is this also one of your uh, TM Benenis must win games? Or this is everybody's must win? I mean, do you, people you even want me? This? Do people want me to do it? Because by the end What's of the season, two and two this year. Oh, no. Don't. Mm. I mean, in must win games to be two and two, because I just like late, late in the proceedings in game 161, I dubbed that a must win game to keep Kevin Gossman out of potentially mm. pitching a regular season just, game. You just wanted the personal moment because you were there. I thought yeah, that was why. I also, yeah, that was part of it too. <laughs> I was like, it, maybe my magic can can impact the baseball game. It didn't work out. I don't I don't think it was effective enough this season okay. that, that we'll leave people it would want me to. Maybe we can revisit next year. I mean, it, it, you know what it is? It, it's not a must-win game by as decided by me. It's just like factually a must-win game. Right, like by the dorks and math. <laughs> yeah, no. um, because if the Blue Jays don't win, they're going home. That's right. right. And if they don't hit a home run, again, I think they're going home. So I've compiled my Blue Jays batting order confidence rankings, and I imagine it'll be the same um, batting lineup today mm-hmm. against the righty as it was yesterday against the righty in Pablo Lopez, and I've ranked them one through nine, where there's like there's some debate to be had in the middle of that. Okay. I, I don't think there's much to be had at the very, very top of it. To I me, don't either. The guy you're most confident in, mm-hmm. had a couple of hits, had, had a very notable strikeout, I will say, after the Vlad leadoff double, mm-hmm. but still a guy I feel confident in is Bobichet, is, is still the guy I think in any moment if you had to choose a current member of the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, he's the guy that you want up in a, in a big spot, I still think. Yeah, if it is, you know, whatever your scenario, bottom of the ninth and you just need to scratch it across, that's the guy. Whatever whatever it is in terms of finding a way to get a knock, he is 1,000% the Jay you're most confident in. It really hasn't wavered as the year's gone on. There have been moments and mm-hmm. he hasn't quite been the same guy yeah, since coming off the, the injury. Aisle, yeah. Hasn't quite been the same guy. And that speak and the fact that he is still clearly that guy speaks more to everything else around him than it mm. does to what he's been since. But he's the guy. Well, and just like John Schneider has to live in the moment and react to the things that are happening today as opposed to the longer and bigger sample, I'm doing the same thing with my power rankings mm-hmm. or confidence rankings. So again, not power rankings, confidence. Yep. Like who do you as a Blue Jays observer want up in a in a big spot? Bow number one. To me, two. 
It's Kevin Kiermaier right now. I have him there, too. I do. It has to be Kevin Kiermaier, which is not like – this is not some bum that I'm throwing up into the the two slot here. This is a league average hitter when he arrived with the Blue Jays. He's been slightly above above league average offensively since becoming a Blue Jay and a guy with, like, an extensive – postseason track record, a guy that, okay, while he's not Brandon Belt as far as the walks are concerned, somebody that you're you're not worried about swinging outside of the zone too much mm-hmm. and and put together outside of the Johan Duran at bat, which, again, he got his wires crossed. And, and who, I, I don't that, know what to do. Yeah. That, that, that's an at bat. If Johan Duran is going to not just throw you three straight curveballs but throw them in the locations that he was able mm-hmm. to do on the corner, like you kind of – you just got to tip your cap. I know that that is the dirtiest word in Jay's land <laughs> because we've heard it so many times, but in that one instance, we'll allow it because it's true. So you agree with me, Kevin yeah. Kiermaier, this, uh, right now, number two. Right now, hey, if they win two games, it might not be by the time they're playing another team. But right now, today, it is Kiermaier. I almost feel like those two are indisputable. This is where I, I can understand arguments for others. Yep. And, and so much of it is... Um, it's not results necessarily because nobody else has really had mm-hmm. big time results in in the postseason or even you know the regular season down the stretch too much. But I will say Alejandro Kirk, the way mm. he's catching up to some fastballs, and Buck Martinez referencing how different the swing looks now. He's playing like every day. He played like the last month of the season, almost every single game. Didn't start every game, but he got into every game <laughs> as at least a pinch hitter, save for game one sixty two. To me. He's three. If you want to have somebody else in in three, I understand it. But for me, it's Kirk. Yeah, I I'm not gonna argue too much. I would go Belt. Like that's the guy I kind of have third there. And it's just because there's it feels like there's just been a consistently higher floor now with Kirk. It's the recency thing that you're seeing more. But that that's where I'm at with Belt. It's just I feel like the floor of a net bat I'm gonna get is do higher you, from him. Do you have Belt above George Springer? Because I know he doesn't have a hit yesterday. He also didn't strike I, out. I, I'll just give you I, that is the three I have. I have Belt, Springer, and then Kirk in that order. Okay, see, so because I have Kirk, Springer, and then. I have Vlad five. Mm. I mean, he hasn't been the Vlad we all uh, hoped he would be after the 2021 season. Honestly, he hasn't even been the Vlad that was pretty good, but not great in 2022 this season. This is his first extra base hit of his postseason career yesterday. the hardest hit ball in the game yesterday for what that's worth. Yeah, he's still Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I have him five. I have Brandon Belt six. I have Kevin Biggio seven. Here's the thing that... I, I, you can convince me that Matt Chapman should be higher than eight. You, what you can't convince me is that Dalton Varsho should be anywhere but nine. Uh, Dalton Varsho is nine in my confidence ranking. Matt Chapman, something's going on here. Like I do, I, I'm curious. Starting to see it. If if, if you have a, a couple ducats laying around and, and you're interested in a real long shot to hit a home run today on on individual player props, mm. I I might not. Be surprised. That's like quadruple negative. I <laughs> would I would wager okay. on a long shot of uh, Matt Chapman hitting a home run in a baseball game, in a postseason game, against a guy with an ERA under three in Sonny Gray. To me, I know he has the one hit yesterday that probably shouldn't have been a base hit because Edouard Julian got like the whole his whole glove on it, and somehow <laughs> it came out of the glove. And... He came two feet shy of the extra base hit that would have changed the entire tenor of the baseball game in the sixth inning. 
But that's a lot different than the guy who looked like he had no chance for large portions yeah. of the season. I, I think something might be happening with Matt Chapman that he might be he might be ready to do a whole season of, hey, start the season strong with a month of incredible baseball, have four months of horrible baseball, and then maybe wrapping up the season with a great, great month. Now, they need to win today for him to have the opportunity to play a month of baseball, but I think something might be happening here with Matt Chapman. I just quickly looked at the odds on that thing and uh, this particular book anyways. Uh, they're uh, they're a little bullish on that after they saw him hit the one yesterday. Huh? Four to one only, plus 400. Really? Yeah, which okay. is just uh, yeah, a little surprising, quite honestly, because he's Matt Chapman. Like Alejandro Kirk, way longer odds than than Chapman there, and I don't know that that makes a ton of sense, but uh, you you see it there. It's, uh, it is interesting, and I don't, I don't hate that that play in terms of what you see out of Chapman it, I think when you get to this point in the order and what we're doing is like it's him it's Varsho those are the guys that are down in this part is that right. you've actually seen Matt Chapman do it in a Blue Jays uniform <laughs> yeah like honestly like Dalton Varsho is a myth we've heard about it yeah I rem- I've I've actually seen video of him going yard in Arizona and stuff. And I know, look, I know he hit homers as a J, but look, think about what that's looked like when he's been up at the plate with Chapman. You actually, I mean, you have the literal recency bias of he hit a, he hit a shot that would have been a homer in what I think 12 or 13 of the major league stadiums. And you've actually had him come through in big ish moments for your team in the past. So I think that's why you have him there. And I don't know that I'm seeing quite as much as, as you are, but I think that just given the track record, and I know it exists for Varsho, but it actually exists here for Chappie, that's kind of why I'm there as well. Yeah, um, and we've seen him look real bad for long portions of the season. <laughs> and he I, he had a hit yesterday that should have been an error. I get it. But yeah, I, we've also seen him look really, really good. I know it was a long time ago, <laughs> but when he looked really good in April, you know yeah. what he was doing? Not just hitting balls hard, not just, well, you know what else he was doing was hitting balls over 400 feet that were outs. Yeah. Because despite being American League Player of the Month and all the doubles that he hit <laughs> in that month, he could have had like twice as many doubles because he kept hitting balls that were right to the base of the wall. But he was going to right field. Now, I would I would suggest that he go further to right field than right center right. field. <laughs> because a that, easier. It's a home run if yeah. he hits it more directly yeah, to right field. Or Royce Lewis hit it, yeah. Yeah, do that instead of what you did yesterday. But I just like I'm on high alert for okay. a Matt Chapman breakout in a in a single game. All right, time now for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Now there were a, a couple of spectacular NBA stories yesterday. You want to start with Harden? Yes. All right. So James Harden has not yet shown up at Philadelphia 76ers training camp. But this, according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, quote. James Harden wants a trade. Okay, that's not... I would add parenthetically, we know that. Uh, (laughs) What a scoop! (laughs) He wants to make the 76ers uncomfortable. (laughs) So uncomfortable, ultimately, they don't think they'll get the best out of him and make a trade. Now, we've seen this this happen before. Uh, So good. I mean, once we saw it before with this player in particular. Yeah. The first time he wanted out of Houston, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh... And he had to play some regular season games. He had a new head coach, Steven Stylus, who he put in a horrible, horrible position. Eventually got his way. We saw Jimmy Butler do this in in Minnesota. His his big uh, lever that he pulled was in practice taking the scrubs, the end of the bench dudes, saying, hey, come with me, four of you. We're going to play the superstars on this team in a scrimmage. Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, and we are going to put it on him. Amazing. And apparently he did and was trash-talking the, the whole 
way and uh, eventually that allowed him to be removed from that situation in Minnesota. The other guys like Ben Simmons, who's just like, I'm just not going to show up and I'm going to, it's going to cost me 20 million bucks. And eventually he did get his way as well. I feel like we have to tie this one in as well. It's like, I don't know, time. uh, I don't remember how it works anymore. This feels like it was 15 years ago, but there's a guy here who just said, you know, he's kind of known for dunking and he's just, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like that's a pretty famous quit on your team moment as well. Well, I know we're tying all the recent ones. I mean, Vince also called out the inbounds plays too, right? Yeah. So like, I just want to, I just want to say we too have experience with, with this. Uh, It's been a long time because culture or whatever, but (laughs) man, oh man, uh, we know what it's like. So I, I'm not going to say a feel for the people of Philly because I don't, but you know, yeah, I mean, I, I saw some hilarious comments in reaction to to this report as well, wondering what would make the 76ers most uncomfortable. I think the funniest one I could, I, I found or, or could <laughs> okay. think of, honestly, was James Harden's going to show up at camp and he's going to do improv for mm. 15 minutes, which is going to make everybody super uncomfortable. He's so, going to do 10 minutes of stand-up comedy. Yes, and <laughs> I think, I, I mean... I cannot recall a player so openly feuding, not with their franchise. Like that happens sometimes where it gets to an untenuous position. And like, we've seen it, you know, with LeBron and the Akron letter and like all that stuff. Okay. We've seen those things and that's ownership with a general manager. Like I'm sure everybody saw it, but there was the photo from last weekend of him in a nightclub with the like billboard lit up that says Daryl Morey is a liar. Yeah. It is so nakedly awkward that it is and it's personal. Again, if it's the if it's the franchise the player's mad at, it's like a nebulous thing. It's like, ah, who knows who the, no, specifically this guy who is my boss. Uh throw in the fact that Nick Nurse is the brand new head coach there. Right. How's he going to deal with all this? We have a little Nick Nurse experience and I realize mouth and off to James Harden. Harden is a little different than doing it to, I don't know, Stanley Johnson just to pick a random Raptor for the last couple of years, but Nick Nurse is not going to love this. Like, we see how he is, and he's not going to start drawing a hard line in this with Harden or anything like that, but that's another interesting wrinkle of this. It is, it's ridiculous what he's doing. And it's why the Portland Trailblazers pulled the trigger on that thing before even media day. Mm -hmm. And it was why you heard reports that that was their hard and fast deadline for everybody to get their their best offers. I could not imagine Dame pulling, like you have to be such a type of person to do this. Yeah, I believe it. And honestly, I don't know if you'll go this far with me, a small part of me, a small part of me commends him for believing so much in this. Because I just, mm-hmm. like, even if I felt like I was being done so dirty or whatever, I'd just be like, okay, well, time to go to work. Time to put on my well, shoes. especially considering your reputation. Yeah. And, and just, yeah. You know, well, it, it, not of being a guy that performs in the postseason, but a guy that asks out of situations and multiple times asking out of situations the most recent time for a team that, yeah, you almost handpicked and has a chance to win a title, certainly has a chance to come out of the Eastern Conference. I mean, the, the one thing that's going to force the Sixers' hand here is how Joel Embiid reacts to this thing, right? Yep. Like, if Joel Embiid's like, I get it, this this guy's going to do his part to, to get himself out of here, and I don't love that, but I also understand that you want to make the best NBA basketball trade for this team yep. because I'm here, and anytime I'm here and I just want an MVP – we have a chance to do something special. So I get it. Like, even though James is going to do his best to make it awkward around here and it's not going to be fun. And, you know, maybe he's going to, 
either not participate in the games or when he gets into the game, his effort level is going to be questionable, which I would add also parenthetically might have been the case over the course of James Harden's mm-hmm. regular season career. Um, but yeah, he, he he's on board with, with you holding out and waiting for the best trade. If, if the opposite is true and he's like, this is awful and it's so bad around here that I could see myself doing the same thing or at least, you know, having maybe a different tact, mm. but eventually letting it be known that I, I did my best and won an MVP and I performed in the postseason and we didn't reach the heights that we anticipated, but I'm going to take my ball and go home. Like if that's starting to percolate, mm-hmm. then yeah, James Harden's going to get his wish. Uh, his wish For sure he is. We just talked about this with Grange, with Lillard. These guys all get their wish. Like it might not be exactly their wish, but they all do to a certain extent get it. The other thing, and this isn't normally where I where I go with this, but if, you know, we've all heard the question a million times of, oh, if you could give athlete X a do-over on their career, a different chance, what would it be? And almost always that's a guy who was hurt. I would just love the thunder to have kept it together. Oh yeah. And what is, what does that do to James Harden? If he's just in a winning culture and it's all them building it up together, like it feels like it is a, you know, I don't want to take any onus off of this from James Harden. He's an adult. He's made all his own terrible decisions by himself, but Mm -hmm. what is his life like if they just don't make that awful trade that they made in OKC and they run it back one more year and give him a chance. And I mean, who knows? It's like, probably infighting because we've seen the way all those guys NBA careers have played out. That's probably what ends up happening there, but very much a sliding doors moment. It is a sliding door moment for the Raptors as well. If this off season and according to Bobby Webster, they, they made their best trade offer ever. And this is a team that did trade for Kawhi Leonard, but apparently according to the Toronto Raptors gave up or were willing to give up even more in a potential trade for Dame Lillard didn't end up happening. It's the Milwaukee Bucks that win the Dame Lillard sweepstakes. And, and Dame is starting to do some media with the Bucks, obviously. And was talking to Chris Haynes about an interesting uh, interaction he had over the offseason. I'm taking people behind the scenes a little bit here. So I remember before, before you were traded, we were having a phone conversation. And we were just, just talking. Well, I forgot what we were talking about. But you had to get off abruptly. Like, yeah. you you got, like, you, the way, I'm explaining it from my point of view. It, it was like some, a nervous reaction you had, but you had to get off abruptly. Can you take people behind the scenes on what happened, what led to that abrupt end to our conversation? I, I mean, it, obviously, I I didn't know what was, it, everything was up in the air. And um, I was on the phone, and I just got a random text uh from OG, like, welcome to Toronto. <laughs> OG, I don't know, be over there. Yeah, and he was like, welcome to Toronto. And he always, like, messing around, like, joking and stuff like that. We trained together in the summer a little bit. And he texted me, like, welcome to Toronto. So I was like, man, let me call this dude and see. And I, you know, I finally called him. He didn't answer. Then he called me back. He was laughing. I was like, okay. <laughs> but I was like, it just caught me off guard. Like, I know yeah. it didn't happen like that, you yeah. know, so. Oh, yeah. man, I mean, you, you just... That's a tough time, OG. But he, but he there, always, man. he always play like that. Though, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, Dame seems like he really thought it was. It hilarious. was a really funny joke. <laughs> what a funny, funny joke. <laughs> I mean, I think it's hilarious. I do too, and I think OG is legit mm-hmm. hilarious. Um, I don't think he's super verbose, but that almost no. makes him 
funnier. Yeah, of course. Because when he speaks, it, it's as funny as it is. But I also think if you were of the belief that Dame was very much pushing back towards a potential trade to the Toronto Raptors, not that he wouldn't have shown up here because I still think he he's under contract and and wherever he's traded to, he's, he's not doing the Ben Simmons thing and, and walking away mm-hmm. from many millions of dollars yeah. and a, a legacy-changing event. But you can hear in his voice there, yeah. like he's back in that moment and he's like, I really thought I was going to the Raptors and I I wasn't all that pleased about it. Well, he's sitting there talking <laughs> to Chris Haynes. I imagine well still just listfully looking at Giannis like, oh, look at this guy. We're going to run a pick and roll. It's going to be so good. And he just had a flashback to that being Pascal Siakam. Yeah, and right. like, look, Siakam's a really nice player. He ain't that guy. There's no. nobody else in the league is. And I think that's what it is. I, and we're we're so sensitive here that I think we're making it all about Toronto. It's it's not like yeah. it's a little bit. Maybe there's a little no, reflexive it's not the city though. No. Like I think even if you ask Dane Lillard, yes. like he's smart enough. He's been to Toronto. Yes. He's been to Milwaukee in an off season. Yes. Where would he rather yes. be in Milwaukee or Toronto? I think the answer is clear. Yeah, and guess what? The one knock we have against us is that it's like yeah, February in Toronto. Yeah, February in Milwaukee. Right. No better. No. So yeah, I, uh, I I think there's definitely something to that. And to your point about OG being legit funny. You know, and it's just, it especially, I feel like guys like OG hit home so much more for guys like us who literally have to talk so much that we made it our life and our job is that that type of humor just always hits me. The like, oh very God. stoic guy who just hits you with his like little one liner, his little comment or his little jab or whatever. And unlike, sorry, the Joe Biagini's of the world, yeah. that guy is actually funny. That no. guy being OG, not Joe. That's, you know, and I, it's a good example that you use because Joe was trying. Mm-hmm. He was trying, right? Like, it just doesn't ever feel like OG's trying to impress anybody, make anybody laugh. He's just being himself. Yes. And that's that's hilarious. And I'll just, I'll send everyone to it. If you haven't heard the Will Lou pod uh, on the Raptor show where he interviewed OG, there's some, like, good basketball stuff in there as well. But they also just have five minutes of OG coming in and out of his British accent for any given reason, (laughs) which is never not going to be jarring to hear it. Because again, like we know what he sounds like, but he barely ever speaks. And then he's just British sometimes. I don't know. It's hilarious. Go check out the Raptors uh, show. Will Lou, great job on that interview. Uh, Blue Jays potentially playing their their final game of the season today, potentially setting themselves for a winner-take-all game three against the Minnesota Twins. They're into the postseason, which is more than you can say about the Seattle Mariners who did the Blue Jays a favor in losing on the Saturday, allowing Sunday to be a stress-free, no Kevin Gossman game for the Toronto Blue Jays. Their president of baseball operations, Jerry Depoto, took to the podium yesterday and so lit the baseball world on fire <laughs> that we got to play you some of, of, of that media availability and also how it impacts the way I think about front offices around Major League Baseball, including mm. the one here in Toronto. That and plenty more coming up next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
p.m. The Toronto Blue Jays facing off game two against the Minnesota Twins. Best of three American League wildcard series. Blue Jays. Encourage fans to grab friends and get next level loud to cheer on the team as they begin the race to bring a World Series championship back to Canada to help fans gear up. They've given us Blue Jays swag packs to give away this week to enter for a chance to win. Text in today's code word, Springer to 590-590. Again, that is Springer to 590-590. Blue Jays back in the postseason, mm-hmm. back-to-back years. Last year, they got in um, for the first time in a, in a full season under Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. So they were in, in that weirdo 2020-60 game season against the Rays. They didn't win a game there. Uh, they didn't win a game last year against the Seattle Mariners, who were into the postseason for the first time in 21 years. Mm-hmm. They had the longest playoff drought in Major League Baseball, and the Jays are the get-right team. And and yeah, it's a great point. Um, I think it's a bad one, but it's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, it is accurate. <laughs> it is ac- accurate, but it it doesn't make you feel good. But uh, Mariners beat the Blue Jays, um, and then they get handled pretty easily by the Houston Astros. And then this season, they have this incredible second half that involves two eight-game winning streaks to eventually take the lead in the American League West, and then eventually at the end of the season finish one game out of the playoffs because they're, they stub their toe pretty significantly. So the, the drought back on. Uh, it's now at one, not 21 years, but they missed the playoffs despite the fact that they just traded for the top starter in the trade market a season ago in Luis Castillo. They have one of the most exciting players in Julio Rodriguez out of the playoffs for the Seattle Mariners this year. And naturally, that has led to some very pointed questions towards president of baseball operations, Jerry DePoto, because, you know, the teams that didn't make the playoffs now doing their end-of-season media availabilities, including Mr. DePoto, yesterday. And he explained the thought process that exists at least in that Seattle Mariners front office, but I would hazard to guess that it exists in many a Major League Baseball front office. If you go back and you look in a decade, those teams that win 54% of the time always wind up in the postseason, and they more often than not wind up in World Series. You know, so there's your, your bigger picture process. Nobody wants to hear the goal this year is we're going to win 54% of the time. Because sometimes 54% is is some one year you're going to win 60%, another year you're going to win 50%. You know, it's whatever it is. But over time, that type of mindset gets you there. If what you're doing is focusing year to year on what do we have to do to win the World Series this year, you might be one of the teams that's laying in the mud and can't get up for another decade. So we're actually doing the fan base a favor (laughs) and asking for their patience to win the World Series while we continue to build a sustainably good roster. Oh my God! No, no, me. It's you sent this. You sent this to us last night, and you, your <laughs> response made me not want to. I wanted to react live. So this is the first time I'm hearing this. Oh my God! I did not think anything could be worse than the the super excited. We turn four years of team control into twenty seven. Shouldn't you all be super jacked about that? Oh my God, how dare you expect us to try to win the World Series? What are you doing? Say less. Say now, less. Now you go. Sorry. No, this is, I, I, I think, one of the most concerning things you can hear as, one, a fan of a Major League Baseball team, but two, honestly, it's like 
a fan of the sport and maybe a fan of sport in general because, well, I, I very much think that baseball, it, you can look at numbers, you can look at statistics, you can you can look at trends and you can e- more easily apply it to the thought process process around the sport than you can in other sports like hockey where mm-hmm. it's like it's, it's, it's a little harder to quantify what exactly sure. happens in a, a hockey game as opposed to a baseball game. I'm sure if they could, the other executives and other pro sports w- would have the same mentality. By the way, bef- before I get into it, for, for reference sake, uh, Jerry DePoto took over the Mariners before 2016. So that he, he's been in charge for eight seasons, yeah. almost a decade. Uh-huh. Uh, his team's record is 616 and 578. So that's 51% of so the game. So not games. reaching the goal. So if he wants to get to 54 in, oh. in, in, in 54% in, in just two more years, they need the Mariners do 204 wins over the next two years. So it's an average of 102 wins a season. So we're, we're headed towards this incredible run of Mariners baseball, maybe. So... There's so much about this that is upsetting to me. The I think the number one thing though is that, and I get it. You have to be confident as as a an a executive, uh-huh. a pro sports executive, as a head coach to, to be a leader of people. You have to, even if you don't believe it, you have to exude confidence. Stop acting like you solve sports. Oh my god! Stop acting like you have the answer. That that you you know everybody's dumb and and especially you the fan who thinks that we should be trying to win World Series. You're the dumbest, and we're doing you a favor, saving you from yourself by telling you what we should be prioritizing. And it's not the be all end all of hoisting the commissioner's trophy. It's winning fifty four percent of the games. But acting like that is definitively the answer. And then anybody that has some differing opinion on the matter is a moron. I get it. Got to have confidence. And, and you got to believe in yourself. And boy, if you're if you're going to have this type of theory, you better bring some of that confidence to the table. Sports are unsolvable. And I, I know it, it hurts to... to, yeah, to ask, ask Matt Chapman with his home run that didn't get hit yesterday. Well, and I, I know it hurts to hear this, guys that have spent their entire professional life trying to to do the best make the right decisions and are getting paid millions of dollars to make those decisions so much of sports is unquantifiable and honestly just dumb luck i get it like there is some stuff that you can impact obviously and there's better general managers than other others that there's that as well but like the idea that there is some secret sauce to putting a sports team together and that you've 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 captured it, and nobody else has, and especially not the fans, is where I want to start. And and that that's so incredibly stupid. It sounds like someone who's never watched sports before, honestly. Boy, does it. And is there not, and like I know the answer to this is there is. They're just lower on the pecking order than this person. Have you ever spoke to a public relations staffer in your life? <laughs> like doing on, the fans a favor is unbelievable. Honestly, if you if you <laughs> would have workshopped 10,000 of the worst lines you could have come up with to say after your team missed out on the postseason with all the circumstances you laid out there, that might be the worst one you could possibly have landed on if we're doing you all a favor. That's the part I just can't wrap my head around. You should be confident. You should be steadfast in whatever your belief, if that is truly Jerry DePoto's belief Mm -hmm. in how to build a team, and that is the right way to do it, and he's been empowered there. Okay, sure, fine. You need to also realize part of your job, Yeah. part of it is talking to other GMs. And yeah. you can go sit there and have a scotch and say, oh, don't we all love the 54% rule, boys, and say, yeah. But another half of it 
is talking to the people that pay your salary and show up to the ballpark and all that stuff. And to take that tact there publicly, it just, it comes, it it speaks to someone who is so isolated from public opinion on that stuff. It's just, it's mind boggling. Well, okay. Is a baseball team, is a, is a hockey team, is a football team. I mean, football team is so much more complicated, but like, are those pro sports teams more likely to be successful with someone who's experienced and and smart at the helm than like average Joe Blow fan? Like obviously, obviously. But like the margin isn't as great as some of these people seem to think. There's there's some smart guy that thought Zach Wilson was the second best player in the NFL draft, right? Mm-hmm. Some guy yeah. getting paid millions of dollars. There are stupid decisions made in professional sports front offices all the freaking time. So to to your point about his belief and and the messaging, and honestly, if this was like a proven fact, if in fact Jerry Depoto had actually cracked the code, like if he was Billy Bean yeah. and he's like, holy cow, no one's actually thinking, like on-base percentage is, is way more valuable <laughs> than like, which is like in retrospect, such an insane, Duh. like, yeah, no, getting on base, not making outs is more important than, than anything else in the sport. Jonah Hill to tell us. But... He actually did crack some code. Like, if Jerry DePoto had actually figured it out, he's like, hey, if we actually don't push too hard right. to win and we just, like, over a prolonged period of time are able to win 54% of games, which, one, like, that's impossible to guarantee yourself that. <laughs> and, two, the idea that that would guarantee you some sort of World Series championship, you'd be like, tip, tip my hat to Jerry DePoto. Is not the case. It, it's never going to be the case. The idea that you... Are, are are maybe getting a 54% uh, chance of, of winning the World Series by having a 54% winnings, uh, a winning percentage over a 10-year span. It's just, it's just, it's unbelievable that there is a thought process throughout Major League Baseball that this is permeating. And I know that this isn't what he's saying, but it comes across in a year where you traded away your closer at the deadline, who, as we said, locked down game one for the D-backs last night. And we don't need to talk about what the former Blue Jay did for the Diamondbacks as well. Gabriel Moreno had a homer there. I'll throw it in. But it almost feels like they're like, "Ah, we flew way too close to the sun last year. Went out and got good players. Luis Castillo. We can't, we cannot do that again. We we were, we need to be more conservative. We need to dial it back a little bit. We cannot be adding to this team that, and I know he's not saying that, I mean, to a certain extent, but that is how it feels. That's how it sounds. Well, and the other thing is there's, okay, so every team in Major League Baseball, in theory, and maybe this isn't the case year over year, is trying to win, right? Like in, to, if, in the grand scheme of things, yes, there there's some outliers in there. I'm confident in saying that. Yeah, but I think ultimately they prefer to win than to not win. Yeah, right? it's like how much they're going to try or, yeah. you know, but there's allocate only, resources to it. Yeah, like, but there's only so many wins to go around, right? Like if you're winning, somebody Some, else has to be losing. Literally so the idea, a zero-sum game. Yes. Yeah, so if if everybody has this mentality, nobody's going to win, or at least, well, oh. half of the teams are going to win 54% of games. The other half is going to win 46% of games. Eventually, you need to push in to the middle of the table. And I'm not saying that it's doing what the Mets did this season right. was prudent. Obviously not. No. But the idea that you can just, you know, casually 
take it as it comes and and be conservative in your moves and just over time you win enough games eventually you're going to win a world series i guess if that's the case but yeah sometimes you're going to have seasons where things go awry and and the 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 greater um margin of error you have because of the talent level that you've uh, acquired by by which i mean high mm-hmm. level talent the the better shot you have of of winning more than half of your games. Just, just this sickening. This 54% thing is just so hilarious to me. And then you throw the other side of it. Like, yeah, 46%. A lot of teams in baseball would kill to be there. Like, you look at the A's and like, oh, my God, we would die for 46% uh, after having lost 112 games this year. Yeah, you know who agrees? Yeah, we're um, worked up. <laughs> with us. is a guy that actually was on a, a Seattle Sports Talk radio show before Jerry DePoto even took to the microphone, but was like prescient in his comments. Here's here's a clip from a caller from Seattle Sports Radio yesterday. Ooh, uh, let's go to Mark in Maple Valley. Hey, uh, this isn't going to be popular, but I'm going to speak the truth. The problem with the Mariners <laughs> is the fans, and here's why. John Stanton dangles fireworks and bobbleheads in front of their faces and runs the team like it's the Oakland Athletics instead of one of the most profitable teams in Major League Baseball and tells you to your face they're going to challenge for a World Series and throws out a lineup that has Caballero, Sam Haggerty, Dylan Moore, and Mike Ford at the bottom of the order, a bunch of scrap heap guys, and tells you that we're challenging for a World Series. And yet we come out in droves because we get to go with our families on a sunny day and watch fireworks and bobbleheads and draw over 3 million people a year. And this guy's sitting there with a cigar thinking we're the biggest idiots in the world. If we were in Philly or New York, this wouldn't even be acceptable. But we do it every year. And then we go, oh, we got to love these guys because they almost made it to the playoffs. Are you out of your mind? It's unacceptable. But yet 3 million people come in summer here. It's a joke. And until someone holds this guy accountable, until Jerry DePoto to take his analytic nerd and get the hell out of Seattle and get a guy who can hit 40 bombs that plays first base or right field or left field, maybe we'll make the playoffs. Thank you. Thank you. Give that guy a show. I'm not not denigrating anybody in Seattle. I'm sure they're all doing great work. Yeah, give that guy a show. No, he knew it was coming, dude. That was before Jerry Depoto said fans should be thanking me that I have this mentality of not pushing too too far in. If that, that was that we're always going to be over five hundred and around the playoffs in an era in Major League Baseball where twelve teams make the playoffs. <laughs> if that was my show, uh, and I was still on the air after those comments from Depoto, I would call that guy back. I'd need yeah. to know more if he's still with us. Honestly, like it felt like that guy was on the edge <laughs> before those comments. Uh, so thoughts and prayers to to Mariners fans. That's abysmal. And honestly, if I, I don't want to call for anybody's job, but like holy cow, if God. I was the owner of the Seattle at the Mariners, very least, no more talking for you. Yeah, no more. <laughs> Right. They might might just have to say they fired him and like still let him do the job. <laughs> and it's guess. like, hey, here's a guy. Honestly, Ben, this might be your moment. It's like, here's a guy who will not say anything yeah. too controversial or dumb. And he has a great haircut. This could be your time. Oh, bud. thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. You have other traits, but I feel like no, you no, no. stick in between the lines and a good head of hair. That's like up there with your traits. No, those are the top two. Let's on your Mount Rushmore traits right. for sure. When we come back, Blue Jays and Twins for the second potentially final time. In this wild card round this afternoon at 4.30, we'll talk to Jeff Blair of Blair and Barker next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.